0: Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. My name is Harry Kendelbacher. Welcome to B2B Sales Trend, yet another episode of the podcast that is brought to you by Global Performance Group, a company who implements behavior change within organizations to help people to gain the competence of the skills, the confidence to execute those well, in order to have a courageous conversation to challenge clients' thinking, current assumptions, provoke their thinking and needs in order to engage in an innovative dialogue. It's a bit of a mouthful, but that's uh, what basically what Global Performance Group does. Welcome to another episode. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you, or have as a guest, Seth Rosen. Seth is uh, the Global Head of Sales Enablement at LSEG. LSEG stands for the London Stock Exchange Group, uh, which was formerly Refinitiv, and Refinitiv formerly was Thomson Reuters. Welcome to the podcast, Seth. Thank you, Harry. Good to be here. Uh, very much appreciated time. I uh, very much look forward to have you on uh, the cast today. As a way of starting off with the interview, Seth, um, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself
1: and your role? Yeah, thanks so much, Harry. Let me just tell you about who I am personally. I think that's always so important as we get to know people. Um, I live in the United States in Nashville, Tennessee, and and I think even before I, I dive into who I am professionally, personally. I'm a husband and I'm a father to four daughters. Um, if you're in that same situation as me, you know how much that shapes and defines you. Um, you know, personally, um, you know, I, I I love to play music. I'm a sports fan, and I would say in my own mind, um, I'm a pretty decent athlete, though most around me would would argue that point. Uh, when it comes to being a professional in my career, um, there's a there's a pretty decent split in what I've done. It's been roughly 40% quota carrying uh, sales roles, leading account management functions, as well as uh, sales leadership, and the other 60% has been in learning and enablement, um, where I sit today. Uh, running sales enablement at LSEG, uh, which, as you mentioned, is is this large acquisition of the London Stock Exchange Group of Refinitiv, which was formerly Thomson Reuters. We're now one uh, large organization. I have the pleasure of leading the enablement function in our, our largest business unit, which is data and analytics.
0: I really appreciate that introduction, Seth, uh, and also the personal side of of your introduction. Uh, four daughters, you have a handful there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I only have two, but uh, no uh, i I know some a couple of people who have four kids. It's a challenge, but it's one that shapes and defines us, right? That's right. Um, So, let's dive into just what you said. If you said 40% sales role, leadership, and 60% uh, uh, enablement role and learning roles, let's start with the second part, the enablement side of things. Um, You know, what makes you passionate about sales enablement, and what made you decide to switch from the
1: traditional sales roles, leadership roles, to an enablement role? Yeah, great question, Harry. And, And I'd have to back up um, to my university days. Uh, I actually, uh, attended university with the intention of being a teacher and, um, you know, though the business world was a lot more advantageous for me and, uh, and for my wife upon graduation. Um, I, I was always looking for ways to incorporate teaching into business. I just didn't know it existed. Um, and as I as I was in those sales roles, um, leading uh, local and geographical sales teams, um, some of my senior leaders began to watch me in team meetings as I was facilitating kind of our localized training, and they approached me and said, "Hey, do you know there's actually a function in the business world that does this?" And, and that opened up my eyes to uh, this whole world of learning and development and sales enablement. Right. What makes me so passionate about it, Harry, why I love doing this so much, and, and there has been a couple stents where I've gone uh, back into quota-carrying roles, but I always come back um, because if you think about the desire to want to be a teacher, an educator, effective teaching is all about making complex things simple. And After several years in sales, I was introduced to learning and development, and it was there that I found the perfect blend, uh, a love for sales a love for sales strategy and leadership combined with this love for teaching, right? And so I did what most people do. You go off and you become a new hire trainer, right? And spent a few years uh, helping to develop curriculums and training all our new joiners, and then migrated into more of a global role where I was a full-time facilitator, uh, teaching uh, mainly like selling skills content, um, and then went on to lead global teams, Um You know, as time progressed, I began to assimilate a lot of the traditional enablement functions. Right as I saw, as I started to see learning and development as a function of sales enablement, I started to uh, obtain roles that helped me to really think about um, that side of the equation. And that's where I'm. That's where I am today, leading an enablement and learning uh, organization responsible uh, for two thousand sellers and leaders covering customers in one hundred and ninety countries.
0: Uh, very interesting. Um, I know you've hired sales enablement leaders, and I know there is a number of different definitions of sales enablement and what it does and what it's supposed to do uh, out there. Would you mind for our audience to clarify your view of what sales enablement is and what it needs to uh, to do?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. Um, boy, Uh, I'm going to use a sports analogy. I know that's like the one place you don't ever go in interviews, um, but you have to recognize in the context that I'm in that this idea of sales enablement is very new uh, to the corporation uh, that I serve today. And so I've had to, again, take something very complex, something that has a different definition with almost everywhere you go. In fact, the three years that I spent before uh, coming to the London Stock Exchange Group and Refinitiv was spent... Uh, in an organization uh, much like GPG, right? And as as I went out and and was running the account management function, every time the word sales enablement came up, I got a different definition. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure there's a one size fit all definition that you can put on it. But let me let me tell this story a little bit this way, and uh, because I'm an aspiring golfer, um, I will use a golf analogy. When I try to explain the difference between learning and development, which is what a lot of companies believe sales enablement is, um, and what I believe sales enablement is, I look at those two functions of enablement and learning and development um, separately but combined. Right? What combines them is the concept, or let's just use this golf analogy. My learning and development team operates a driving range. They operate a practice facility right? You think about a golfer, you take them off the course, Mm -hmm. you put them into an environment where it's safe, where you're not necessarily keeping score, and you allow them to practice their swing. And they hit ball after ball after ball. And what we do in that is we give them the right facilities, we give them the right tools, and then we give them the coaching on their swing, right? Here's one to two things that you need to do differently in an effort to hit the ball straighter, uh, further, uh, mm. How Whatever you want to do, right? So part of my organization, which I call traditional L&D, operates this kind of out-of-workflow environment where sellers can and leaders can practice their craft. Sales enablement acts much more like a caddy, right? And I think about what are the tools, resources, assets, platforms that a seller needs to be effective in front of the customer, what are the in-workflow uh, types of things that prepare a seller to have a customer-facing conversation? And so that's why the enablement team is going to think much more about that ecosystem of customer-facing to think about what's the competitive information, what are, what's the, the product information, what are the markets, um, wh- what are all the things that I need to have an informed conversation that is aligned to the buyer's journey? Stage one, stage two, three, four, five, right? Uh, while LND is, is creating lots of, of programs helping people to hone their craft, it's enablement that's thinking about how do they take that craft and make it more effective as it aligns to the buyer's journey. And So that's the analogy I use mm-hmm. to tell my own internal story as we bring sales enablement into a more prominent role in an organization where it's a very new concept, is that helpful, Harry? Uh, very
0: much. I love the analogy, uh, the sports analogy, and 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 sometimes they don't work, but in this case, they really have. So, thank you for that. And I know you've you've created um, a variety of different levels uh, of an enablement program to ensure you un- enable your people. What would you say in your experience are the key elements? of an effective enablement program? Any secrets that there are that the listener could benefit from?
1: So the secret sauce? That's the one. The secret sauce. Um, yeah, There's a few things that I thought about uh, preparing for this conversation, and there's a lot of different directions that that I can go, and, and I'll name a few of them, but I will start with what I believe the secret sauce is. I think that the most important aspect to any enablement program is to have senior leader endorsement with mm. clear lines of accountability. Um, if you're like me and you're listening to this podcast and you've been in enablement, learning and development type roles for years, you know what it's like to try to push something uphill. Mm. Uh, you know what it's like to go out to the organization and to shop an idea, start in one area, execute the program, take the success of that program and go shop it somewhere else and kind of go from a frontline leader and seller uh, angle and and take that up in an effort to prove value at the top of the organization. Um, What my experience tells me is that that does not work. And Mm -hmm. if it does work, it takes a ton of time and a whole lot of frustration. And so I think the secret sauce, regardless of what you're building or what you intend to deploy from an onboarding program to leadership development towards uh, upskilling tenured sellers, against a definable set of skills, competencies, or behaviors, whatever it is you're building, you you have to get senior leaders to buy into that and then drive Mm -hmm. the accountability for its execution downward, right? Mm -hmm. So that everybody from your country manager, your SVP, whatever that senior seller sales role is, that they are communicating down through the organization that we believe that this is a good idea to do this, And we're going to hold every level accountable to executing against it. Mm. So sounds sounds great. Super hard to do. Uh, We don't do it well every time. Um, But I I try to come to our senior sales leaders with just a handful of things each quarter to say, "This is. Would you agree this is the best thing for us to be focusing on? And do I have your commitment to partner with us to drive participation, to drive accountability? And to pay attention to how we measure this. Mm. Okay, so that's number one. There, there's, if you want me to, I can go into. I've got a few more than I thought of, Very and true. I think that's number one. Uh, number two, I think it has to be intensely relevant, right? Meaning that everyone from the front line to leadership truly believe that it can move the needle. Uh, mm. We go out all the time, and we we see something new in the marketplace, and we say, "Well, I think that would be a good idea." for our sellers to know that. I think that they should focus uh, more on effective questioning or negotiation. Or, um, and While those things are very good things, um, I think we've got to do a, re- a much better job of, of, of talking to frontline sellers and leaders to ensure that it's both topically and regionally relevant right? Mm-hmm. and that we don't just say, let's launch something globally uh, without understanding how it impacts someone on the other side of the world. Right. Right. That's number two. Three, I would say, Harry, it's got to be in workflow. I think this is one of the big changes in, uh, in the industry. And maybe we'll get to some questions like what we're seeing in the industry and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, we've got to try to create sales enablement programs that are as much in workflow as possible, meaning that they don't disrupt the natural motion or the natural habitat of a salesperson or a leader. Right, right? That we're, we're looking for ways that in the process of their day, in the tools that they're using, that we don't make them take one hat off, travel to the other side of town, put another hat on, and all of a sudden right. now start learning. Um, right. That's hard to do. And I know you guys are working on some cool things to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the kind of the partner organization that, that fuels the sales enablement ecosystem has got to think really, really long and hard about What does a salesperson's day actually look like? What tools, what devices are they using? And how do we deliver bite-sized pieces of information that matter at that moment, whether it's um, at a certain stage of the buying journey or at a time that's conducive uh, for them based on how they run their day?
0: So basically, enable sales says what it does on the tin, right? (laughs) Um, uh, absolutely. That, those are three key points. I really, I really, I really like. Obviously, the, the senior leader endorsement, which is key, the relevancy uh, uh, to somebody's job. And don't you find sometimes just linking into uh, one of the comments that you made? This, it's got to be relevant. It's got to be in line with what frontline sellers and the leaders want. Do you see there is a difference to what? Frontline sellers think they need and leaders think they need.
1: Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Listen, sales salespeople are a very specific DNA. That's why it's mm-hmm. why a lot of great sellers don't make great leaders, right? right. Um, they're just they're just cut from a different cloth. I mean, every time we come out and revamp our onboarding program, the key feedback we get is it should be shorter. Right, <laughs> right. Because right. salespeople want it to be shorter, uh, right. so sometimes we sometimes we've got to help them, you know, get their mind in a place that it's okay to step away from things and really focus right. on learning something or absorbing something that's going to help them in their job. So I definitely see a difference in leaders and sellers in in that capacity. Um, you know, just because there's so much noise and so much going on, it's hard to get there. It's hard to get their focus. Right.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges and issues that you've seen when it comes to executing those key points and to enabling salespeople and the sales ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I think it's all about noise, and it's cutting Mm -hmm. through the noise. If you were to do a case study on my company, a wonderful organization full of amazing people, um, but over the last three years, the, at least the, the the side of the company that I was hired into, it's been through a lot of change, um, including the recent acquisition with LSEG, which has just been phenomenal on all aspects. Um, but it's a lot of change. Um, mm-hmm. People are in and you know different structures and a um, lot lot of noise. And and I think that that's true of every organization, no matter when you talk to them. There's always things going on. Uh, that that create a lot of um, a lot of confusion, mm-hmm. and so I think that's the biggest challenge uh, in and of itself. So many of those changes are very diverse and complex, mm-hmm. and um, you know, having uh, our organization as a very very complex product offering, and mm-hmm. it can make it difficult to truly pinpoint what the frontline needs when and why, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I think again that connection to to the frontline all the way up to senior leadership is so essential because you have to get really good at prioritization against things that are timely and things that are relevant. Mm. Right. So I th- the thing we talk about all the time as a leadership team is, you know, what are the headwinds? What's the noise? Mm. How do we uh, cut through that by being laser focused from a prioritization standpoint to ensure that we're working on the things that truly matter right now? Mm. Sounds like you really have your finger on the pulse here with uh, uh,
0: the latest and greatest. Now, because you do, what do you see as the next wave of innovation within sales enablement? What's the next big thing that you would like to see happening?
1: Yeah, I think so, so much like uh, in sales, when you're looking for trigger events, those major mm-hmm. changes that happen in an organization, then as a seller, how can you uh, capitalize on that change to then gain an audience to, to uh, bring forth a point of view and an effort to want to start a sales process? I think mm-hmm. the major trigger event, we'd all agree, is just what we've been in for the last, I don't even know how long it's been now. Uh, it's been a long mm-hmm. time, you know, call it a mm-hmm. year and a half. Because um, mm-hmm. COVID nineteen has transformed just about mm-hmm. every company. Mm-hmm. You know, for some companies it was not much different, where salespeople were working remotely in a very flexible environment. But for mine, it was a very, very drastic change. Right. And I think that the enablement world was already putting a heavier index on virtual delivery capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's even more important now. Uh, you know, whether you're looking at platforms to content, um, sellers need flexibility. Right. with tools that intersect them within workflow, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and I think, in addition, greater levels of experiential scenarios allowing not only for, for consumption from multiple content sources, uh, so those types of solutions that are curating content into a very easy uh, experience of navigating to find the right piece of content when you need it, but a lot of practice and repetition. So, if we're going to continue to be more virtualized, then, then how is the technology that we're using enabling sellers to not only consume but to practice, um, mm-hmm. I think, is really the wave that the, that the industry has gone into. I mean, most of these big organizations we've partnered with over the past two decades have mm-hmm. been primarily uh, in-classroom facilitation-type organizations. And
0: right. what we've
1: seen over the last couple of years is this mad dash to how do we virtualize our content, make right. it uh, easier to consume? Start looking at how do we actually commercialize consumption. Um, but I think that's what's going to win the day is you know how how does the enablement community create uh, technology that matches the the real life scenario that we find ourselves in now?
0: Right. And and it's such a big challenge that you know obviously my organizations and others are trying to uh, to tackle that because it's not about the knowledge anymore. The knowledge is everywhere. It's easy to consume the knowledge, uh, but it's really difficult to execute that and put it into place and 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 convert it into that kind of conversation that one needs to have. Uh, with a client there so that's the real challenge how do we not just transfer knowledge that's an easy part that's the easy part but how do we give them the opportunity to go back to the golf range where they practice their shot in, uh in a safe environment and make sure they transfer that onto the course where they can execute it into their game very interesting yeah uh, you mentioned the pandemic, uh, the uh, pandemic earlier. Um, you know, what in your opinion have has changed in terms of the buying process as a result of that pandemic? Has buyer been more difficult? Have they been more demanding? Have they what changes have you
1: seen in their process? so So that question, Harry, makes me kind of scratch my head. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, our buying cycles and the results of our selling efforts have actually increased in momentum over the last year. Wow. And you know, contrary to what we would have thought, kind of this mm-hmm. all virtual reality has seemed to have added more focus and a greater frequency of touch points with the customer. And ultimately, I think our customers have benefited from a greater level of productivity and focus from our sellers. Um, I, I'm not to a final conclusion yet of why that is. Um, rather, I, I feel like I'm much more in in a, an observer mode right now, mm-hmm. um, where I've seen a lot of momentum. Uh, not only in a year of a pandemic, but a year of a major acquisition for for our organization being acquired um, has done nothing but add fuel. Uh, mm-hmm. to the sales force. I, I think I have some pretty um, strong convictions on what happens to seller f- productivity when you give greater seller flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I'm not exactly there on my my full evaluation of what's happening. All I know is that um, buying, now that we're past the initial you know those initial months in the pandemic where everybody, rightly so, had to just put everything on hold, mm. just to figure out what's the world look like. Mm. In, now that we're past that, it seems like it seems like potentially we're in a really good place. And so I think that's probably all I can answer on that question because I think a lot still remains to be seen. But mm. uh, buying process as a result of the pandemic has seemed to have had some have had some benefits. And I mean, this
0: this is a very fortunate position that that you and your organization are in. If the the levels of productivity has really haven't been greater than than at this particular moment. How do you deal with that? How do you now get that level of productivity even more? Because it's always a challenging environment. If you're at that level, you always need to improve to the next level. What are you planning to, to do to get people now to an even greater level than,
1: mm. than, than good? Yeah, and, and Harry, I haven't been long enough here mm. in this role at this organization to tell you that our, our buying uh, motion, our selling motions are better now than they were before um, or that our, our seller today is more effective than they were pre-pandemic. I mean, I joined the organization we launched a sales kickoff and then we all went home. And so I, <laughs> I've actually been at this company almost entirely in in this pandemic. So I don't have a lot of like before and yeah. after contrast to be able to give you. All I know is that mm-hmm. there seems to be really good momentum right now. But that, that's all I know. But that's what a I fabulous think is behind, place to be, eh? That's yeah, a fabulous I think, place to be. I, I think what's behind that momentum is the way in which our sellers have adapted to the environment, and really harnessed it. So you ask the question, what do we do to get more out of them? I, I think my, my initial reaction to that question is to not encourage them to go back. Mm. Um, just to say, okay, global pandemic is, you know, it's not over by any means, but, you know, we're starting to transition back to some of the motions that we had previous. Don't, don't forget what you've learned. Mm. In this time, um, you know, I think some companies will go back to look exactly the way they did, but I think most won't. And I think we need to do a good job of of debriefing in our leadership teams to really take a close look and talk to a lot of people who have been in this scenario to say, what have been the benefits um, that you have experienced over the last eighteen months, and how do we continue to drive those those things forward mm. right. And whether it's whether it's continuing to double down on um, best practices for uh, presenting and selling in a virtual environment, or whatever it might be, knowing that that's going to be par for the course. If we continue with the analogy, um, moving forward, you know, I think we need to take the best of what we've learned and and continue with it
0: in your experience and uh, obviously uh, your experience in LSEC, but also as a as a, a sales leader and and, and uh, in your past sales roles what these days makes makes a perfect uh, b2b sales professional what are the top 3 things a hmm. sales professional needs to have these days to be successful
1: top 3 well, Again, can be difficult to answer. I've, I've been through so many of these methodologies, as I know and as I know you have, uh, that try to pinpoint the DNA of the perfect rep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think a lot of it depends who you sell for and what you're selling. Um, but three things. I, I've always believed that sellers need to be extremely self-reliant. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's number one. <clears throat> well, While there are organizations like mine who wake up every day thinking about how we can support our sellers and our leaders and how we enable them effectively, I think you can't ever escape that top performers are very self-reliant. They are tenacious when it comes to finding answers, whether whether it's how they manage a sales process and getting as much information as they possibly can to build the best business case possible. Um, Mm -hmm. Or it's how they navigate an internal organization to get things done, to find answers, uh, to find the right internal contact to support them in a sales process. I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I think when you profile the top salespeople and have a conversation with them, they just have a very uh, high level of tenacity to be able to push through and get what they need. Right. So I think self-reliance is number one. I think extremely low levels of patience mm. is another one, is another one mm-hmm. right? And um, great salespeople are driven by great sense of urgency. Mm. And I think that has continued through this time to say, okay, if these last 18 months have seemed to slow everybody down, how do I not slow down? Um, how do I not just kind um, of rest on my laurels, if you will, um, I'm not saying that impatience, as you and I would experience it, with like a child who's uh, waiting to go get ice cream, right? Mm. You know, kind of wiggling around and, and can't control themselves. That's not what I'm saying. It's mm. it's just high levels of urgency is probably a better way to say it. So they're self reliant. They have high levels of urgency, and then I always come back to this one statistic for number three, which I think is so important, and that great salespeople are great storytellers. And when you look at the statistics year over year, whether it's CSO Insights or whoever is kind of putting out their their state of the union on on sales Mm -hmm. effectiveness, every year it seems like the number one reason why sellers miss their targets is the inability to articulate value. Mm -hmm. And while it is very difficult to navigate complex sales processes and understand who the true economic buyers are and get very, very good at qualification, salespeople have got to be really, really good at articulating value. Mm. And I think that takes practice to do. I think it takes listening to yourself um, and being able to wrap a narrative around something to help our buyers understand. um, It's sellers helping buyers take very complex concepts and making them very simple. Right. And I think that's something that, if that's the number one reason in most years, why sellers are missing their targets, it tells me we focus on it and then we walk away from it. And so I know for me personally, coming into the second half of this year, I'm, I'm putting a heavy emphasis on how do we articulate our value and how do we put our salespeople in an environment where they can practice that and then receive coaching on how to fine-tune that story. It's great insight. Great insight.
0: Any other projects, Seth, that you are currently focusing on? What have you got coming up?
1: Well, it's July, so that means that sales kickoff is six weeks, six Great. months away. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran an all virtual kickoff last year, uh, which I think was mostly successful. The feedback was very good. It had its technological hiccups, um, but you know, thinking about you know what most organizations feel is important is this all together type of Uh, momentum builder. Um, When you're a global company and it's different in every geography, that's a very complex thing to figure out how to do. Uh, So, spending a lot of time thinking through how we do that this year. Mm. Also, Harry, thinking a lot about uh, leadership development primarily on the side of identifying future leaders. Mm. And what does our leadership bench look like? And and is there a way that we can formalize? We don't have anything formalized today, and I'm looking to change that to where we can get um, high potential candidates into an environment with peers uh, to help slowly uh, introducing them to the different types of skill sets um, that are required for a sales leader to be effective, because we know that can be a difficult jump for a seller. Uh, so I'm going to think a lot about that in the second half of this calendar year um, in kind of extending what we've already done around leader onboarding and, and just general leadership development into the identification of future leaders.
0: And I, I have to ask you, it's, uh, it's burning as you've, uh, you've mentioned it. Um, what are the, the top three attributes
1: for a good sales leader for you? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I think they've. I think they've got to be great coaches first mm. and foremost. Um, you know, I, if you haven't read the Connector Manager uh, by by the the Gartner folks, I'd read that book. Mm. I think great. it'll compel you mm. um, to think about sales leadership maybe a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, I think you know, that transition from seller to leader again is a very very big change, and mm. you've got to know how to coach and the spots to coach and the spots when not to. Um, but they've just got to be very, very committed to the development of their mm-hmm. team. And what's hard for a sales leader is to look at long-term development and be patient for that, mm-hmm. right? So coaching, I think, is one. I think they've got to be great franchise owners, meaning they've got this team, and, and that team has requirements from, from the franchisor, right? Which involves accurate forecasting and, and pipeline management, the performing strong deal reviews, um, I think they've got to get really good at the interactions the the, the manager to seller interaction. Right. Mm-hmm. And how do they kind of take that coaching spirit into an environment, um, and, and drive really, really good conversations with their sellers that, uh, that move the needle. Right. right. So right. I think that's only two. So it's strong coaching and it's, um, you know, it's getting really good at those interactions, and, and then I think number three, it, it's 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 amazing how many leaders don't get out with their sellers. Mm. And you would have thought that would have changed when all you have to do is click a join button into a meeting. Mm. And I'm not saying that that this is an issue uh, per se at LSEG, but I think it's an issue everywhere. Um, where not enough leaders are observing how their sellers are doing in front of the customer, mm. and I think that. Organizations need to spend more time thinking about um, kind of these things like these sales management cadences. So, not only am I going to commit to uh, a one on one, uh, a pipe review, a forecasting conversation on a weekly basis, but I'm also going to commit to uh, being in the field with my sellers, just listening offering that that coaching that either happens in a debrief call afterwards or hopefully soon in the front seat of a car or on a train, Um, they're just not getting enough context for what's actually happening uh, Mm. in front of the customer.
0: We always put it under the umbrella of, uh, as a good sales leader, you have to take advantage of these coaching moments that appear throughout the sales cycle and then take advantage of those to... Really, uh, uh, get uh, your coaching skills to work with uh, with those individuals. Agreed, Seth. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been a fabulous uh, guest on our podcast uh, to our listeners. You know, you heard it here first. Uh, we've talked about it a couple of times, but I think uh, our guest today has really uh, framed it up nicely. If you want to be a top sales professional you've got to be self-reliant you've got to be uh, having uh, a certain agency uh, urgency shall I say and you've got to be really able to articulate value and if you want to be a sales leader you have to be a great coach you've got to be committed to develop and you've got to put your observation skills to work and in practice so thank you again Seth for being our guest thank you for listening to our audience for another episode of the B2B Sales Trends Podcast. Uh, Check us out on globalperformancegroup.com. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.